0: Do not judge, for you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Well, before I preach, I like to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, says this is the will of the Lord. We give thanks in all circumstances. And i like to give thanks for your prayers. Usually we have community prayer first and third Tuesday of the month, but we're canceling that because of the weather this Tuesday. And you can join us the first Tuesday of next month. We believe a congregation that prays together, grows together, that prayer magnifies our efforts. So thank you again for your prayers. i also like to thank you for those who are not in romantic relationships, who are are not married, whether you be unmarried, divorced, or widowed, or maybe just too young to be married. Um, Though I'm preaching on marriage today, I know Valentine's Day can sometimes be a hard day for people. Uh, I used to call Valentine's Day Singles Awareness Day because it made me even more aware of how much I disliked being single. Um, so even though I'm focusing on Marriage Day, I want to recognize that Valentine's Day can be a hard day for many. And if that's you, my heart goes out to you. But the Bible does—we've been going through Ephesians, and this last section has to do. With uh, Christian marriage, both in Paul's time and in our time. And I thought it was appropriate to end our um, lessons on Ephesians today with this, what Paul finally says on marriage. So listen for the word of God to you Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her himself as a radiant church without staining or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself and all and no one ever hated his own body but he feeds and cares for it just as christ does the church for we are members of his body for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. and The wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the lessons these these scriptures reveal for husbands and wives today, as well as for those who are in every station of life. Even though they they may be difficult to hear, we ask that your word be made clear in our lives. Lord, any words that I say that are not of your will, I ask that they fall to the ground and be forgotten. But whatever words that I say that are of your will, ask that they bed and haunt and bear good fruit unto the kingdom of God. Lord, let us not hinder your word, but feed your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. So I I just got to admit, my my wife really hit it out of the park for Valentine's Day uh, this year with one of the gifts she got me. Um, Do we have a picture of that? Can we go to the next slide? Yeah, so it's this, this portrait, you put two of our wedding pictures inside of it, there's actually like two deers behind there, that's what the antlers are about, but it, it reads, yeah, we don't actually have antlers in real life, but uh, it, it reads, Cynthia and Will, best marriage for life. I choose you to do life with, hand in hand, side by side, to love with my whole being unconditionally. I choose you on the beginning and end of every day. And I choose you in a hundred lifetimes, in a hundred worlds, in any version of reality. I find and I choose you. Oh, wow. that That is such a nice valentine. Thank you, wife. That was a lovely valentine's day gift and she made the right choice and it's a good lesson if you want your best marriage for life that life may be a long time it may be a long time so each day we wake up and we choose each other we put this outside of our bedroom so each day we remind ourselves that each day we choose each other And I love my wife and she loves me. We choose each other in every version of reality. But that is a daily choice that we have to make. But I gotta be honest, the other gift my wife got me, not so much of a hit. And honesty is also an important part of marriage. And uh, I ran this all by my wife beforehand. Um, And whenever I mentioned my wife in the sermon, I, she's my editor, so this this is not coming unexpected. The other gift she got me was a weighted anxiety blanket. As you all know, I've been struggling with um, some anxiety past couple of weeks. Had uh, some insomnia, which I had to deal with by going to the hospital for a little, little while. So it was actually a pretty thoughtful gift, except that supposed to make you feel like you're being like in a perpetual hug but it made me feel like I was in like a coffin <laughs> um, which that was maybe not the right uh, type of anxiety. maybe I have a different type of anxiety than what these people are dealing with so uh, I just asked my wife hey can we return this It's not helping me with my anxiety and she's like okay. So we went to the local Kohl's, apparently there's an Amazon return desk. Does anyone know about the Amazon return desk at the local Kohl's? Uh Yeah, and apparently the Amazon return desk, the the Kohl's return desk is in the front of the store. And the Amazon return desk is all the way in the back Uh of the store. And I smelled a trap. (laughs) I smelled a trap to get my wife shopping. I'm a man, I smell, I can smell a trap a mile away when I see it coming. And indeed, when we returned the, the gift, she got 52% off, guys. And everything in the store, and things were like 40% marked down. And she was using some cute voice. I was like, oh, can we, can, we buy, can we buy a dress? I'm like, of course. <laughs> of course. You're too cute for comfort sometimes. We can buy a dress. And luckily, we got home, she tried it on, and she ended up not liking it, so we returned it. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Thanks be to God. But then I, then I got feeling bad. I was like, actually, you know, we were going to go out to eat tonight, but the weather's really bad, so we had to cancel that. But really, we all know, like, food is really a gift to me because, like, I'm the one who really likes to eat in our, our relationship. And I realized I hadn't gotten a nice gift for my wife. Really, a nice dinner is more of a gift to me because I'm obsessed with food than it is with my wife. So I said, like, well, why don't you use some of that money and go get a dress you did like? So she went to a boutique and she found a really nice dress for like not nearly the price it was before. So we both won. It was a win-win situation. And what we're learning about in marriage is that we want to see our agreements and disagreements as a learning experience. And whether you agree or disagree with what the scriptures are saying today, maybe we can see them as a learning experience. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I'm guessing that's not super popular these days. I'm just going to make a guess. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. We can all agree about that, but I want to take a different tactic on both these scriptures. And it leads to the good news today. And the good news is this. When we love and respect one another, we can discern how to build our best marriage for life. When we love and respect one another, we can discern how to build our best marriage for life. Well, what do we need for this? Love respect and discernment rather than judgment. First, love and respect. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife and his and he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband Paul is doing two things in this passage that aren't apparent to us maybe maybe today many women might take issues with submitting to all things I don't think that means doing whatever your husband wants but back in when Paul wrote this actually I believe men would have taken a lot of issues with what Paul was saying when you understand the context. You see, what Paul was doing was he was modifying something called the household codes. And these were Roman cult codes that every man knew about, about how to run the ho- household. And it basically meant like a man was a little emperor in his house. He could treat his wife, his children, and his um, slaves as property. He could do whatever he wanted in his house. So, inserting, Paul is inserting in here the example of Christ. He's saying, you guys are Christians, well, and you want to be an emperor, but really, our emperor is Jesus. And look how he gave himself up. Look how he loved the church. This If you want to be the emperor of your household, it's a different type of emperor than the Roman emperor you served. He put limitations on men that had never been placed before. He said you should love your wives. You should not anger your children. You should respect and honor your slaves because you have a master too in heaven. The, The Roman Christians that Paul is talking to, had never heard this before, and they probably would have been infuriated that anyone was questioning their authority. The second thing he's doing is he's showing that actually marriage is not the the end-all, be-all. One of the the, the problems in many societies is we put maybe too much emphasis on marriage to fill all, all our needs. You can't put in in any relationship between two people, if you put too much weight on it, it's going to break. And sometimes our societies put too much weight on marriage. But what he is saying is actually, while Genesis says marriage between a man and a woman is a great mystery, the greater mystery is the marriage of Christ and the church. That is the greater mystery, that whether we're single or widowed or divorced, whatever station of life we find ourselves in, the church is our support. The church is like a marriage for us. And if we were honest with each other in the church, and we'd ask for help from the Lord and with each other in the church, maybe our marriages would grow in the church. Because that is what the church is designed for. That wherever we are, we may have a best marriage for life, but the best marriage for eternal life that we're going to have is with the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus says there will be no need for marriage in heaven. There will simply be no need because we will be with Christ and we will be in His glory. And that will be better than any marriage any man or woman could invent. Marriage is for life, but it's not for eternal life. Christ is for eternal life. And Paul is saying two things that had never been said in Roman culture. So he's really challenging the context, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have eternal things to say to us today in America. I think he has a lot to say to us about love and respect. A lot of, Dr. Emerson Ebrick is the author of the book Love and Respect, the love she most desires and the respect he desperately needs. And he summarizes his book by saying wives need love and husbands need respect. And the love wives need, he summarizes by the acronym couple, C-O-U-L-P-E. And couple stands for closeness, she wants you to be close. Openness, she wants you to open up to her. Understanding, don't try to fix her, just listen. Peacemaking, she wants you to say I'm sorry. Loyalty, she needs to know you're committed. And esteem, she wants you to honor and, cherisher. and for a man, he needs respect, and we spell that, chairs. Chairs stands for conquest. Appreciate his desire to work and achieve. Hierarchy. Appreciate his desire to protect and provide. Authority. Appreciate his desire to serve and lead. Insight. Appreciate his desire to analyze and counsel. Relationship. Shoulder to shoulder friendship and sexuality. Appreciate his desire for sexual intimacy. Now, those are the outlines of the chapter in the Ygrix book, Love and Respect. And while there are actually some marriage books um, I like better personally, one is like Seven, John Gottman's Seven Principles to Make Marriage Work, I think is the title. I think that, that's an excellent book. This is the only book that I believe is based on the letters to Ephesians and is blessed by God. When my wife and I watched a video of the author doing a session for our own marriage counseling, I just felt an anointing on his ministry. So even though I'm sometimes skeptical of some of the language he uses, that doesn't mean you can't learn from it in your marriages. However you interpret this passage, I really think he's saying something important about love for women, couple, and respect for men, chairs. Finally, uh, discernment rather than judgment. Judge not, else you will be judged. We can all agree on that, but actually, he's think about it, our culture has a very weird relationship with judging. Are not self-help books us paying other people to judge our relationships by telling us how to do better? They're not really us helping ourselves. They're other people helping us. And we're paying people we don't know to say our relationships aren't working, so how do we do better? Shouldn't we call them judging your relationships so you can do better works? Because even though they're using kind tones, and in fact, they're making moral judgments about what works, right, and what doesn't. That's practically what they're doing. You know, we like advice. We don't like judgment. Everyone can agree on that, but what is the difference what is the difference between advice and judgment? Because both make moral judgments. Some, one, we willing to receive advice, and judgment we not willing to receive. Well, advice is asked for. Judgment is advice that is not asked for. Well, we've all experienced thinking another person was judging us when in hindsight, when we ignore their advice, we realize they were actually giving us really good advice, we were just not mature enough to listen. I've experienced that, I've interpreted advice as judgment, it's a common human thing. And people have given me advice that wasn't asked for. Doesn't mean it wasn't good advice, it just means I wasn't willing to listen at the time. So what really is the main difference between advice and judgment? So I think it's what the Bible would call the difference between discernment and judgment. Judgment in the Bible is making a final pronouncement of condemnation. And ultimate judgment belongs to God alone. God determines ultimately our eternal faith. And he determines in this life, he knows our hearts, no one else does. Discernment is helping people make better judgments about how to live their lives. What is the main difference between discernment and judgment? Well, what do I mean when I say don't judge me? Well, I think what I mean is don't judge me is don't assume you know what's going on in my head or in my heart. So judge not else you be judged means don't assume other people's motives or they will assume your motives. I've noticed, as I've studied human nature, when we assume another person's motives when we're making um, statements, that that escalates conflict. It turns it into a crazy cycle of people assuming other people's motives. And our culture, from procedural shows to marriage books, are obsessed with getting into people's heads and figuring out their motives. But discernment focuses on effect rather than motive. To be frank, whether people have good motives or bad motives, why does it matter if a marriage ends? The effects are the same. The effects are the same. So don't assume because someone hurt you they had bad motives. Our motives are a mix of good and bad because people are a mix of good and bad. But don't assume just because you have good motives that justifies the hurt you cause someone else. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If we want a more equal society, then we both start to have to both start acting like Christ. Well, did Christ judge the people who crucified him? No. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There is a day where ultimate judgment will happen. And we will all have to come, come to terms with rejecting or accepting the Son of God. But when his crucifixion was happening, Jesus gave room for grace. He said, Father, forgive them. A lot of people thought they knew what they were doing. But they didn't ultimately, in God's eyes, know what they were doing. The fact of the matter is all abstain and fall short of the glory of God. What's a modern translation for that? All of us like to think of ourselves as people with good motives, but the world's still a mess, and sometimes our lives are a mess. So why does it matter? I think we should examine our hearts as to our motives. But to begin with that, we have to see what our actions are doing to other people. The actions come first. Our motives come second. Actions come first. Effects on other people come first. Then, when we see our effects on other people, we begin to examine our motives, not the other way around. You know, as I was thinking of the example to help I thought of an example outside of marriage in the realm of invention. And I thought this was a very excellent story to illustrate a point. Orville and Wilbur Wright, uh, not married in any way, shape, or form, but two brothers who changed the world by inventing the first working airplane. I say the first working airplane Because there were many inventors who tried, and their designs didn't work, and they ended up falling and hurting themselves. Because it's not intuitive, right? Air flight is not intuitive. A boat, as human history shows us, as even the Bible shows us with Noah, it's more intuitive to know how to build a boat to save your self from a flood than to figure out how a bird flies. It took two people putting their heads together and hundreds of years of scientific discovery for humanity to finally get that right. But because of that, we can travel across the seas by air faster than we ever could on a boat. Now, you you would like to think that Wilbur and Orville had a good working relationship. And they did. They had an excellent working relationship. But that didn't mean they didn't fight like cats and dogs. They actually did, as I heard recently, fight like cats and dogs. They had heated debates over everything, how to design a propeller, how to design flaps, because it had never been done before. And it got so bad, apparently they were living with their sister at the time, that their sister had to leave the house, because they were in such a heated argument. But at the end of the day, They remained friends. They didn't take it to heart because they saw and respected each other's intelligence. And they saw and loved each other. You see, they made a distinction, psychologists say, is between task conflict and personality conflict. The task they set out to do was to build an airplane. Never been done before. That was their goal. And being brothers, they knew, growing up together, they knew that there were things about each other that hurt them. And really, a lot of our conflicts in relationships is not about who's right or wrong, it's personality conflict. Our personalities are different when we let that get to ourselves. But if the right brothers let that get to them, all of us would still be traveling on boats and we wouldn't be flying in airplanes because they saw their task as greater than their personality conflict. And they ultimately didn't let the task conflict get in the way of loving and respecting each other. What if we treated our marriages like the White Brothers treated building a plane? What if we did that? What if we treated our marriages like the Wright brothers treated building our plane? In in the sense that our task as Christians is to build marriages that are an example to the world. And the fact of the matter is even Christians have personalities that irk each other. Even the church, we have personalities that irk each other. But our task is to build a church. That is an example that flies in the world our task is to build a marriage that flies in the world and it can be done i don't know where you are in your marriage hey i'm i'm afraid of flying is the next husband Well, i'm working on it too but it can be done scripture says it can be done that we can have our best marriage for life if we love respect each other. And if we learn the difference between discernment and judgment. Judge not all seem to judge. But that doesn't mean we don't need to discern better ways of doing things. And I've done my best today to give my two cents on that. And I hope that you guys take me seriously. And even if you don't, I love you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us stand and affirm our faith by saying the words of the Apostles' Creed.